Welcome to the next edition of the Career Conversation Podcast, brought to you by Hunter Recruitment Group. My name's Craig McGregor, and today, if you're an A-League fan, we've got a great guest, Jets CEO, Laurie McKenna. And for those who aren't football fans, you'll love to hear his story from moving from Scotland, relocating his family, playing his soccer career here in Australia, then becoming a coach and a manager, and then taking a real left turn and becoming the mayor of Gosford before finally coming back to the Hunter region and now being the CEO of our Newcastle Jets. So enjoy this Career Conversation podcast with Laurie McKenna. Today's podcast is brought to you by Hunter Recruitment Group, specialists in permanent recruitment, labour hire and HR consulting. Start a conversation with us today via our website hrgroup.com.au or at our socials, Facebook, Instagram and LinkedIn. So welcome to the Career Conversations podcast, Laurie McKenna. My pleasure. Always, always good to do a wee interview. <laughs> Sounds good. And we're here today, I saw the Jets were training, so pre-season's already begun? Yeah, yeah, well pre-season started last week of June and then we're fortunate enough to go over to China. Um, the boys went over and played in a four-team tournament and won it, which was fantastic, against two Chinese Super League teams and Sydney FC. So the boys come back with a bit of prize money. and um, Beautiful. We weren't really ready to go there, but we went and we never played that well, but we won games, which is important. So, And now the boys are off to Madrid tomorrow, so it's the best pre-season yeah. I've ever been involved with. The life of a footballer, hey? Yeah, and, uh, definitely. So they're off to Madrid, play three games in Spain, and then they'll be back for the FFA Cup on um, 7th of August up on the Gold Coast. So I wanted to talk about your career. So tell me about, I want to start with today. So you're CEO of the Jets. How did that come about and, and why? What's the motivation to, to lead our town and our club? So I was in China coaching 2011-2012 and when I came back um, I'd been general manager of football. I coached the Mariners five years and was general manager of football for a year and I just it was time to have a break. Then when I came back for China coaching I went back to Manners as general manager of football and that's when John Singleton approached me to um, run for council and I told him no chance I'm not interested in that <laughs> and then he kept at me and at me and then I thought about it and the central coast had been good to me in my time there as a Manners coach so yep. I said alright I'll do it so we run a, a team Laurie McKenna got my, myself and another four people my ticket and won won the thing and then all the ten councillors are thought if I'm going to do this I should do it right and I became the mayor I got voted in yep. and I was the first mayor voted in each year because the, the councillors vote but in that time coaching in China and then dealing with China through the council stuff um, I got plenty of contacts so I was contacted by somebody who had an interest in partying buying an A-League team and I knew the Jets was up for sale with FFA I initiated the meetings, gave them a bit of credibility, and they um, once they decided to buy the club, they asked me if I'd be the CEO, and I didn't have to think about it. I knew the rivalry between the Manners and the Jets was big, but um, I just wanted to get back into football, and I was really pleased the Herald run a, a, comp- a, a questionnaire if it was a good idea for me to come to Newcastle, and I think 87% of the people said yes, and I, I knew then it wouldn't always be smooth, and the first year was hard because we started changing things and we never got results on the part. But as people started seeing the changes we've made, you know, they jumped on board. And I'm just very fortunate the people in the Central Coast still 
think I'm a good guy. <laughs> and in Newcastle, the, the the same. So it's 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 been a great transition into this job, and and I've, and I've loved it. So tell me about the job itself. So for listeners, you know, you think of the sounds cool being a CEO of a sporting club. What does it actually mean? What do you do? It's this this club is probably different for a lot of others because we've got very small staff. So I'm involved with football. So I do some of the signings. I negotiate with some of the agents. The great thing is now Joel Griffiths was doing some of that as well, but he was only two days a week. Now he's on full time. So that'll ease up my time dealing with agents and checking on players. Working with the coach closely about budgets and stuff. But obviously because I'm a coach as well, it's actually good because... Me and Andy can bounce things about. Yep. So you're, and you're coaching the youth. Yeah, team. I'm coaching the youth. But again, that was because Labby Haliti, um, who was a big player at the club, and he wanted to get into coaching. He never had his badges, so I'm babysitting him just now. To he's got his badges, but I'll continue to be involved after that. And I'm loving being back on the park with the boys and mm. and getting results. It's just great to see so many. When we played in China a couple of weeks ago, we had five youth team boys on the part the last 25 minutes against Shanghai Shenhua, who's a 40, 50 million US team, you know, so it's actually nice to see we've got boys coming through. So I do a lot of dealings with FFA, um, and a, a lot of it is boring stuff that you don't <laughs> get too excited about. You know, the football's the real thing. Um, but there are a lot of that kind of stuff, making sure staff's okay, the general... The general direction the club's going in comes from me and, and my thoughts, and I'm not always right. Um, so we're very open about that, and I want people to speak up. Um, so generally, making sure we've got, obviously we've got an owner who can help, because the club's run at a loss at the moment, so we've got an owner who can afford that. So, But it's being shrewd with your money, um, getting the best value for buck, and, and I think over the two years we've done a really good job doing that. Yeah, I was going to ask about so your owner is in China. What's the relationship, or who who sets the strategy? Is it you setting the strategy, or is he totally me? Yep. So he's totally. he's funding your strategy. He's funding very hands off. Doesn't get involved. Yep. Obviously, we have to tick the boxes with budgets and stuff like that, but he approves it all. Um, but he's very hands off and. In that first year when we were losing that last six games, six games in a row, it was a um, nightmare having to <laughs> phone him because I was the guy who convinced him to invest in the club and I felt personally it was my my fault. Yeah, okay. He was losing money and we weren't playing well. But when you come into a job at any job, you can't just change it in a couple of seconds. It takes time. We had to change how we're perceived in the, the community, where we drift away from being a community club. Now we're back entrenched in the community, and that shows last year we did a 20% increase in crowds. We're the only A-League club to increase. Yeah. Um, so we, we, we started ticking a lot of boxes, but and it's all nice when you're doing well and, and, and he's on the phone, but you have to take the good with the bad. And it's not a lot of people forget about year one, but year one was a hard year to change things, to start changing, because... You've got a full squad signed. You've everything's in place, but when you come in and you see that it's not how you would personally run the business, you have to start changing things, and you have to do that slowly and gently, and um, and it, and it takes a long time. Yeah, well, it, it it does take a long time, but you've turned it around in twelve months essentially. Are you are you happy with proud of what you achieved in that twelve month turnaround? I'm, I'm chuffed to bits. You yeah. know, um, you know, as a coach, I love winning. 
when I joined in at training with players, when as a coach, I love to win. When I played, I love to win. Um, and coming in as CEO, you have to set yourself goals, and I love to achieve things. And it's not because I want to get a pat on the back or anything like that. It's just self, my self-belief that I'm good at something and I want to make a difference. And when I've, we've just had the boys come back from Port Macquarie and when you've, I've had about six, seven, eight emails there from people in Port Macquarie just thanking how the boys have handled themselves and blah, blah, how they interacted with the kids. You can't buy that stuff. No. And that makes me feel as good as we do if we went out and won the game this weekend in, in um, Spain. You know, it's 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 really nice that people take the time to go out their way to send you a nice email thanking you. And that means a lot. And when we spoke to the players this morning about Spain, you know, I brought all that, all that stuff. I love giving that to the players. When it was the mayor, there were nothing better than phoning up somebody when somebody's wrote, because people complain very quickly, especially with council, but when people are starting to write in and thank staff, I think it's important that you pass on that message to staff to say, hey, and when they see the mayor's number, they go, oh, oh what's wrong? Oh, no, nothing's wrong. <laughs> somebody's actually went out of the way to thank thank you for the job you've done, and I just want to say thanks. Yeah, And I think that's a big part of running a business. And so, so you said that, Football, sport in general, um, results, winning is is key. But you've got a duality of being the CEO as well, of balancing the finance with the winning. Is that a tough gig to do? Yeah, because like we, are, I would say last year, right, we we get beaten the grand final. On the we get a, a a sheet from FFA with the spend of all clubs within the salary cap. It doesn't count your marquees. So in the spend of all the ten clubs, we're the lowest. Yeah, well, but. You chuck in the marquees would probably be about um, sixth. Yep. So the four Sydney Melbourne teams and then probably Brisbane and Perth, we'd be in about um, sixth or seventh. So we're, we're not at the bottom, but we're getting near that middle. We spent more money in the clubs ever spent, but we can't com- we can't match it with the big boys. But that's where you have to be shrewd with your signings. And this year, and Ernie mentioned this morning, we've. Every player who played in the grand final, apart from one player, is not at the club, which is Riley McGree. Yeah, so we've amazing. maintained the squad, we've extended contracts. It's how you manage a team, and everybody comments up here. Usually, at the end of the season, Jets have not signed anybody, and everybody <laughs> leaves, and it's basically a new squad. Well, we've had this year's squad signed up for months. That's awesome. And it's just planning and who's going to do well and reward people who deserve to be rewarded. Yeah, it is, and it's interesting. It's like. I'm an outsider looking in on that stuff. I remember when the Jets won the A-League that first time and I remember talking to my friends going, this is going to be a recruitment boon for us. We'll be playing in the Champions League and players will want to come because of that. It just never eventuated. So and I think finish bottom the next year. Yeah, so I'm, I'm not sure how you find that balance, but by re-signing the guys for this season, keeping that retention from a human resources perspective, retaining those good, good people, retaining the culture maintaining that movement that's a positive move forward and that's the same in, in here Look, we're not the biggest paying business to staff but we reward the staff in different ways like I've got two of the staff coming to Madrid with the team yep. is a reward because they've done an amazing job and every staff member at the club gets an away trip he goes away with the team or they she goes away with the team just to reward them say thank you and so they're part of the team Yeah, it's important in July last year this time a year ago, we had a training day with the guys for Momentum, the business group, and um, uh, Harry and Dave. They um, they came and done a training day with the squad, the football staff, and the admin staff. It's the first time our full business had been in 
um, an office together and in the meeting point. And it was huge that the players set the goals, but everybody's in on it. Yeah. yeah and I think that was a huge thing for us last year. Because nobody knew, but we actually, the boys actually said they'd finish second. Hmm. They said they kept moving the goals up because it wasn't enough to get in the top six, top four, and um, the boys. And, and we'll do we'll do a recap on that this year as well. Okay, it was really important that it's a team. And the big thing is another thing that goes unnoticed is I moved the offices for Honeysuckle. I had the best view in the world over the water and that to come out here and right next to the training ground in the transgrid building because now we're a football club and the coaches were all in here this this morning having their meetings then all the players will be in here after doing bits and pieces and it makes a huge difference when your staff actually know who the players are where before half of our staff wouldn't have known what player was who so you almost got like a no linkage between admin no, and operations it was two and I've been at many clubs over the years and they've always been a You've got the office staff whinging, but the team, oh yeah, they only come in and train. Uh, they start at 10 and finish at 12 and they're away having cups of coffee. But they don't actually see all the travelling and all the extra stuff or the double sessions. So it's an actually important that everybody knows what everybody does in the business. Well, let's start at the, let's start, at the start. Growing up in Scotland, were you always going to be a footballer? No. Okay. How did you um, come about? I wanted to be a footballer when I was five years old. I wanted to play with Glasgow Rangers and... I was going to earn £100 a week and I was going to give my mum £95 a week and I was going to buy her a Hillman Avenger, a blue one. I don't know how I was going to do it in £5 a week, but um, <laughs> but I always wanted to play with Rangers and played football at Alive Boys. You never had the junior football then and played at the primary school. I never made the school team when I went to high school. I got in the second year. Um, never played with a rep player. And then St. Junior Football, which is like semi-professional, like non-league football when I was 16. Started getting paid to play, but that only lasted about two months and I, I wasn't getting enough game and I just had enough and I went and followed Rangers for the next three or four years and then came back when I was 19. I was married then with a son and then I was fortunate enough to go out with Indian United and trial and sign in with my local club, Kilmarnock, which was huge. Yep. Huge for me, but it was part-time football. So I was working. I was, when so I left. I well. left school at 15 and three quarters <clears throat> and went into a lace mill and that was the industry in our villages. Yeah, okay. And I, I, I learned to be a lace weaver. I was the youngest lace weaver in the valley, which we call where all the villages are. Because you know when you're a man when you're a lace weaver, you do all the shitty jobs but because it was a small factory, I picked up really quick and I had a good old mentor, a retired guy who used to look after me, Bobby Nisbet, and he, um, he looked after me and then... Um, I was there for two years, and when I was 18, I just had enough. And I actually packed in my job, and that's when I, I spent all my holiday paying an engagement ring for my wife up in Glasgow. Yeah. And then um, my dad had just taken his redundancy from a big firm, and he was going to drive a van for the bakers, but he picked up another job. So I went and done drove a van for six months with Browning's the Bakers, who incidentally make the Kelly Pie, which is the number one pie in Scottish football. Okay. So they still they still win that competition. So it's like a Villies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they um I did that for six months and then I got the what back in the factories where I used to work, one of them was the dyeing company and needing a van driver. So I got the job as a van driver. So and I did that for about six years. And I love my job. And I set myself goals. People go 
I mean, I go and do public speaking and they'll say, hey, I was a van driver, you know what? But I wanted to be the best van driver. I set myself goals. I wanted to beat my times and I wanted to do all that. So for six years, I'd go around about all the factories, pick up all the curtains or the tablecloths that were made um, from lace and terline, and I'd bring them to our factory and um, get them dyed. So quite a physical job. And that's I did that with the football. Yeah, so good. in the Saint with Comarna, uh, I was working 45, 50 hours a week in the factory. And then you'd and tra- I was training <coughs> four, nights, afternoon, four hey? nights a week. No, it was night time. Night time. So I'd be training or playing with the reserves, um, bringing a young family. We bought our first house. I remember trying to, I wasn't handy, but my father-in-law helped. And every night after training, I'd be, I came out in boils. I was run down. I was doing too much. But we were... I was there for I was about 18 until um, 24 when I came to Australia. So what brought you to Australia? I was I still had another year in my contract to go to Kilmarnock and um, I just had itchy feet. You know, I'd, I'd actually came to Australia when I was two years old, when I was in 1963. My mum and dad came here on the £10 passage. We stayed two years and then went back. And um, I'd started looking at Hong Kong, South Africa to football, you know, because they were always... P- ads in the paper and so one of the things one of the guys for the factory was coming out to Melbourne to see his son who was playing the state league I just mentioned if anybody's looking I'll, um, I'd be interested so he came back his holiday and within eight weeks I was on a flight with my wife and two young kids biggest decision we, we made in say, our how, life how brave was that or how silly was it the worst back? it was we got to Glasgow airport and there was a big yellow door up a ramp and I remember walking through that our full families both families were there everybody's in hysterics and I remember taking my two boys they were five and two to the toilet and they're going why is everybody crying yeah. dad and I'm shut up and it was a long it was a terrible flight it was terrible and in those days, well, you had no, no internet. Yeah, there's no connectivity. Ah, there's no, no way to The phone in those <coughs> days, it cost you a fortune. We'd phone once a month. We'd send letters <laughs> um, once a week. And when Christine's father passed away in March this year, she found every letter that we'd wrote back. Wow. And it was amazing sitting going through those letters. Because yeah. I forgot a lot of the stuff. Yeah. So we came out to came out of Melbourne. I started off all right in the State League. Got sold to a National League club. Went to Heidelberg. We still working. I started working, and uh, I bought a, a courier's truck. So courier's that was still semi professional. Yeah, still semi professional. And yep. um, I had no idea why I bought became a courier because Melbourne's a big city compared <laughs> to my wee villages back in Scotland. But then uh, I got a job in a factory for a wee while, and um, and then a lot of the British boys were sales reps. Oh, because a lot of British people come out and played then, and I thought I can do that. And I remember going. My first sales rep job interview, I'd my, I was working in the pr- printing place driving again. And um, I was late, so I phoned the factory up and said, look, I'm running late. Um, I've no time for a shower and to get changed. They said, look, and I always remember this. He says, I'm employing the person, not what he's wearing. Yeah. And I always, that sunk. I went, you know what, that's, that's good. And I went for the interview and I got the gig. And selling rubber adhesives that go on rolls for printing, whatever, this company did it. And I got my first company car, which was a wee one-ton van <laughs> with a flat, the flat pack in the back. Yep. And I was chuffed. I Thought was, was the, the coolest man in the world that somebody was paying for my petrol and giving me a van to drive about and was, I was just so proud of myself. That was, 
a big thing for me in my life that I had a company van or a company car. Yeah. And I did that for about a year and a half until I got sold. I got sold to company Appia. They just won the league in Sydney, so they sold me and we... So that's a bit of a change, Melbourne to Sydney. Melbourne to Sydney, huge change. When I come up here, obviously, Appia, a lot of the players live around about five dock and that, but it was just so big, you know. So me, when you say sold in those days, did you have fee. any? Did you have any control over that? Could you say oh, I don't really want to go to Sydney? Yeah, you could, but the club would have binge anyway. Yep. So, but they paid ten thousand dollars in those days. That was a lot of money. Yep. Um, same as Heidelberg paid seven thousand for me, and then Blacktown City paid ten thousand for me. You did have a say. In the UK, you wouldn't have a say because just you have to agree at the finish up. So, yep. so they sold and we and we came up and then settled in in Sydney and then we bought our first house out at Windsor and then I picked up quite a few injuries. I broke my tibia and fibula, ruptured my kidneys, so I missed probably three national league seasons. Yeah, okay. And then I came. I made my comeback with Newcastle Breakers in 1993. I Loved going to watch the Breakers played play. Played about seven seven games off the bench mostly. and um, But that was more to prove. I was 33 at the time. I wanted to prove to a journalist who drew it <laughs> when I got broke my leg that I, I was a bad tackle and blah, blah, blah. And I just wanted to prove to myself that I could still do it at that level. Did you want to prove it to him as well? Yeah, 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 and that was me. I, I like to prove things. And so were they your last seven games in the NSL? Yeah, and NSL went back to Blacktown City where I'd stayed. I'd always went out and loan, and then played another season or two. Finished up goal scorer with them for a couple of years, and then got into coaching. I had to retire for them because I was going to coach a New South Wales zone program, and because Blacktown was in that zone, it was you couldn't be affiliated. So I went yeah, to Hills okay. United, who were in the division below. But the deal was I went there as a player, but I was going to take over as player coach the next year, which I did. So tell me about that transition. So <clears throat> I'm really fascinated by this sort of stuff. My brother played professional basketball for 15 years. When people go from being a, a professional player, you know, your options are to stay in the sport, coach, media, whatever, or go outside the sport. Did you just want to stay in football? Yeah, when I broke my leg and ruptured my kidney, I started doing my coaching badges. Yep. Which when I was about 30, 31. Which now I advise any young player do your coaching by because you look at the game different. I mean, Tell me about the economies of that. Like, was there a lack of supply of coaches? Did you say, no. you know what, there's not enough coaches around, I could do this? Or? No, no. I'd always, when I'd got injured, I'd turn over the reserve team at Blacktown for a while because one of the coaches got suspended. So I got a taste for it. Then when I got a chance to be player coach, I went, you know what, I, I quite fancy that. And I went, but the important thing is going as a player coach. When you're on the field, you don't coach. You have to have a good assistant who can yep. run things because you can't do everything. No, you can't play and coach. So I brought in a couple of guys that did that well. And then I was really fortunate. Dave Mitchell, the former Socceroo, came back from... He'd been in Europe and Malaysia. He came back and went to Sydney Olympic. After one game, they sacked David Ratcliffe and, and gave um, Dave Mitchell the job, player coach, and... The week before, David Barrett, who played with Sydney Olympic, I was working at ASICS at the time, and I was at ASICS yeah, for 10 yeah. years. I'd got a job as, when I came up for Sydney, went with a job as a sales rep, went to Umbro for a year, chance to go to ASICS, and then um, I went there. It was five years as um, rep, and then five years as sponsorship market manager, and I was sponsoring the players. And one of the players came in, I said, who's... Who's the new coach, David Mitchell? Who's his assistant? He said, he's not got one yet. You should phone him. <laughs> so he gave me his number. So 
opportunity. If you don't ask, you don't get. And I phoned Mitch up, and obviously he's off Scottish, and he didn't know me for a bar of soap. I and as I, when I look back, I played against him when he was at Rangers when I was at Command Reserves, many in 1984 yeah, or something. But I knew a couple of people he knew. So I said, these, these are my references. And he said, look, he'd actually offer his, um, he'd offer the job to somebody and he was waiting to hear back. He phoned me that afternoon. He said, they've not back the job. You're at, can you it's be yours. at Belmore tonight? And we went there and we did really well for like, 12 week period we got the Sydney United job we then went there for two years we won the league got beaten the grand final so you become a bit of a partnership great partnership then we went both of us went to Parramatta Power I left ASICS which was a huge decision for me to leave Give a job, job. Yep. I loved it I love my job I'm still spawned they still give me shoes after all these years that <laughs> was me, 1999 quickly about that so you mentioned you were sponsoring the players did that give you an insight into um, talent spotting? Like you, you, pro- you know, if you want to sponsor a player, you don't want to sponsor. You want to sponsor the best ones. I think it's quite easy. You, t- you just need to look at the CV and you get a gauge where they're at. And once yep. you see them once or twice, you know who's a con man and who's not. Yeah. And it's you, you basically when you're letting boys come and try, you know within a, the first session if they've got a chance. Yeah. After two or three days, you've you've made up your mind what's going to happen. Um, but no, the sponsorship thing. You, you more, I knew the boys. Yeah, I was okay. doing the rugby league ones and soccer one, but I knew all the soccer boys. Yeah. Um, so when we went to Parramatta Power. They it was Parramatta Leagues Club, so it was Dennis Fitzgerald we're dealing with. Yeah. We set up the club from scratch, and I went there as a market manager, assistant coach, so it could be full time. Mm-hmm. And um, and we was there for three years, and then they never renewed a contract, and that's when I then I got. Out the blue, Northern Spirit offered me the head coach's role, which was a full-time gig. Yeah. But in the meantime, I'd set up businesses, um, set up a clothing business, and I'd set up business with my sons, so I was always kind of active involved with that. And then um, Northern Spirit was two years, I won coach of the year the first year, which was huge. I never, yeah. I never won any coaching. Or playing, I so never won a player. Was that a new year. team? Like, was that a no? Spirit had been going for quite a few years, and they were they were the new great Aussie hopes. Yeah, in the old National League, but then it dropped off. So I went there the last two years, did really well with them, and then the A League, then the w, the National League folded. Yeah, well, that's, I was going to ask you about that because it was a big gap, wasn't it? What's the time period? It was about a year and a half. But I'd own business by then, so yeah. I was involved in own business and stuff like that. And then the Mariners came to me to run their bid to get into the. Into the A League, into the A League, which I did never get paid for, and then in November, so you basically volunteered to set up the. Oh, I was meant to get paid, just never got paid. Process, okay, so and not then, volunteered. Yeah, so they <laughs> volunteered, and then in the November, when they got admitted in, I went on the payroll there. Yep, and um, had a great first five years. One coach of the year, the first year there. And so were you more than the coach there, or were you just more the than coach? the coach? No, yep. no, Stuck I've always through. been more. Yep, because I don't agree with you. Just going to job, no, I yeah. can't do that. That's not my job. I don't. Agree. You don't get on anywhere with that attitude. Um, I was involved in sponsorship. I was involved in the market, and I was I was the face of the club. I was at everything, and we were seen as the community club for those first five years because I was Absolutely. the first one there. If your head coach and that don't buy in, you're struggling because the players will opt out as well. If the head coach is in, and the management's in, the players will follow. So. Um, so do you think that was easier for you to set up because you had you were basically established it as opposed to coming into the Northern Spirit or the Jets where there's already a culture already? Yeah, a- because you set the parameters what you want yep. and then it builds on that. 
So I was there for six years then. So five years as a coach, one year as general manager of football, which was great. I worked well with Arnie. I helped bring Arnie to the club. And then there's a chance to go to China. And I went, I've been there quite a few times, pre-season games and stuff. So me and my wife went to Shenzhen. I was going to ask, what was the motivation? Why China? don't know. We've been there quite a lot. And I just, opportunity, different countries. Just me and my wife, the kids were up. Grandkids now. So we, we went to Shengdu. Great, great time of our lives. But the football, it learnt me how not to run a football team. So there it was just purely coaching. Our former president was in the jail with match fixing, a new guy, and it was a shambles. But we had a few Aussie boys there, which was great. Um, but a great experience. Mm -hmm. Decided to come back. Yep. Um, the club had sacked my players. A long story, but we came back. A month later, I got a phone call to... I was going to come back to Manors, then got a chance to go to a Division One team and went back there. And that was a more stable club. But again, after six months, my father passed away in Scotland and we'd been away from our family for a long time in Scotland and the club was trying to squeeze me to play players that I didn't want to play. So I just said, that's time to come back to Australia. Yeah. And we came back and the man, I was going to go to Western Sydney Wanderers, but my, my, plane, my plane was delayed a day because of the fog and I couldn't make the meeting. And then my meeting was then put back for the Sunday to the Thursday. And on the Tuesday, the Mariners called me and up and agreed to come back as football manager for a year. So did you have a choice? Or were you... Was I, I hadn't met, met with the Wanderers yet, but I was getting off at the job. Yep. And had then, the Wanderers... How long had they been in existence? They were just new. Just new. So was it another startup? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was going <clears> to be the football manager, general manager of football. And... Um, my so what made you what made you choose to not go down the startup route and stay with the Mariners? I think it was just Mariners. because I was guaranteed the job at yep. that time, you know. So and my wife, my wife wanted to go back to Sydney. She didn't want to stay on the coast. Yep. And then uh, that was three or four months. Then John Singleton approached me about the council. Then became the mayor. And yeah, well, I was going to ask. T step me through. So you've been in football all your life. What's what's the choice or why why I I, I look at people no who, idea yeah run for council and I'd not, the first time I was in the council chambers was when I became the mayor. Yep. And I said, what do they do now? I had no idea. So, um, Like you mentioned before that people are quick to complain. I know a number of councillors in Maitland and I always say, those poor buggers wouldn't be able to go buy, buy a well, loaf of bread without someone complaining about something. I used to walk down in Terrigal. You get, everybody wants, everybody's yeah. going to pay. But it's good. I'm, I'm okay with that. And yep. I, I spend time and I respond to Facebook. I respond to every email unless it was cut and paste. Yep. So I was very personal. I'd phone people up. If they're yep. wrong, I'd be sitting... Sitting one night on my computer answering emails, and it was um, I was in my pajamas. It was superhero pajamas as well because I remember <laughs> somebody wrote an email. I said, "I'll check on Monday and I'll get back to you Monday." And it was like, "Oh yeah, typical Gosford Council automated reply." And I went, "No, I'm sitting here in my pajamas watching the A League. The A League yeah. was on. Answering your email. Oh, we're sorry, we're sorry. So you actually win them over because you actually yeah. explain you do. And if somebody was wrong, I would have a go politely." If they were right, I would agree with them and get something done about it. So I was seen as very personable as the mayor. And because there's got to be, so you mentioned John Singleton approaches you, there has to be something in your personality, your brain, your motivation to go, you know what, I want to run for public service. I want to help the community. Because like, people seen me as a leader for years and years. And yep. I thought, and this was just to be a counsellor. Um, yeah, I can, I'll do that for four years. And then when I was sitting there looking at all these councillors telling me to vote for them to be the mayor because they were all going to do this 
It wasn't a we were going to achieve this. Yeah, yeah. It was all me, me, me. And I went, no, nah, I'm comfy a team background. We don't achieve anything unless everybody's on board. So I pitched to them and I got them on side. And because um, they were scared for me because I got the numbers. I had 20 odd thousand people voted for me. Yep. Um, so I had the power of the people, if you like. So in Gosford at the time, so that wasn't a publicly elected mayor, it was the councillors that councillors elected the mayors. And, uh, okay. so, and each year they voted me in for four years. The first time a mayor's been in for the full term before the amalgamation. Yeah, wow. So then, and I enjoyed it. I learnt a lot. I learnt a lot. It was a great experience. And then um, that's when I started working with Martin Lee and then he approached me to be the CEO, which I agreed. Yep. But my idea was to run out the term. This was like going to be, this was May, so it was going to be June start. And I was going to run out of the term in September, but then the amalgamation happened and the council was all put away. Yeah. And so it worked out perfect. So, so timing for you. Did you I've, want to get back into football? Were you looking at yeah, other opportunities? I wasn't looking at opportunities. This just came along. Yep. Because I'd bought into a business then. I'd bought, me and my wife had bought into a cleaning chemical manufacturing business in the coast. So I was working part-time because the mayor's job is just part-time. Yeah. And I was doing that um, to supplement my wages. So I was comfortable being on council and being and in 2012 I run for the federal election the Labour Party had approached me to run for them for the seat of um, the one up Dobell mm -hmm. for the Craig Thompson seat yep but I knocked them back at the finish up then Singo approached me to run with Team Central Coast bid which Nathan Bracken did Dobell and I did um, the basically the Gosford one yeah okay and and I never enjoyed that. Yeah. Different beast federal so politics. Why, why didn't you enjoy that compared to the It was just council? different. It was bitter and it was distrust and lies and it was different for the council one. Um, but we, the 600 tax jobs that are in Gosford now, that yeah. come through us going to the Labour Party and the Joe Hockey, uh, the Libs, they gave us a letter of pledge that there'd be a government department of 300 jobs. We got 600. Now they're another... The, the state office is building a financial office there as well. So yep. I look at those 600 jobs now and go, I was part of that because yeah, we get an extra $30 million worth of funding for Gosford because we played the Liberals and the Labour against each other. Yep. Then we knew the Libs would win because we had the two how you vote forms and I got about 10% of the vote. Crap, um, big, um, the cricket boy, Nathan Bracken, got about seven or eight. But it was enough to get Liberal over the line in one of the seats and we achieved we achieved a lot. So I look back and I go, never enjoyed it, but it served the purpose. I got an extra yeah. thirty million for Gosford. We got an extra twenty million for um, Wyong, and um, it was a success. So I look at that and go, and then the Labour Party fell out with me because I went. We gave the preference to the Libs, but that's life. Mm. You, you win some, you lose Politics. some. Too bad. Move on. You can't keep everybody happy. Don't try. So no. Um ambitions to do that any further? I've been asked quite a few times. I was asked for the next state election to run for the Libs and no, no, no. interest. Because you seem to be a connector. You want to be yeah. a connector of people. Yeah, you, you put people to together. If you can that. help, you can help people. And sometimes when I say, why do you keep helping people? Because it comes back, you know, you look after people, they look after you. Well, we met through my connection with Maitland FC and, yeah. and I've been really looking at it from, a, again, afar going, the Jets are doing a great thing with the community. You went up to Port Macquarie um, a week or so back. That connection to community, you've done that at the Central Coast. Why is that so important here again? When I come in here, we were a bit aloof. You know, the club, the players and staff thought they are maybe Man United. Yeah, right, yeah. But we're not Man United here. And um, 
we just need to connect. That's why one of the main turning points, I think, was last last beginning of this season. So we done a lot during the first season with Matt Jones, but the results weren't there. But we did a lot in the community, and we're invited to the suicide march against suicide march. So instead of sending your normal two players, yeah. we organised the Jets bus for Sid Foggs to come and pick us up. And they picked us up in Newcastle, tennis to the park. So there are 500 and odd people there. And all of a sudden, if the Jets bus drives in, 30 staff and players walk off all kitted out in the Jets gear. It makes quite a... Yeah, it makes It's a quite an entry. And everyone, wow. Instead of you're talking two players or two... Yeah. It made a statement. So now we go to certain things and we, we go and everybody, we don't just go a token because people need to know that we are serious about getting back into the community. And um, we do certain, we've done a Christmas party in the last two years for the less fortunate people in Newcastle. We, we have 300 people for a um, a dinner. A lot of people, one of our games, a lot of people wouldn't even know because we don't do it for publicity. We no, do it because we can. You're doing it to connect. We're doing it just to connect and look after people who wouldn't have that opportunity. Yep. And we've and just I really done... think that's important. Like <sighs> sports players in general don't, I think they don't, they underestimate how powerful so that I got is. One of my emails I've got for Port Macquarie, which is lovely. So I've emailed the woman back and said, let me know. You pick a game, begin the season, family pass. We'll look after you. We'll get you a yep. stadium tour. Go out of this. Disney costs us anything to do that. You know, no. it's given, we're giving four tickets away. We give a lot of tickets away. Yep. But you're giving it to somebody who we've made an impression on her two sons' life now that they've went home and their dressing room, their bedroom wall is now a jet. They want to play with the Newcastle Jets. Yep. And that's what our boys just being nice, not doing anything special. We don't want... I used to hate when I was at Manners and it only happened once or twice that you'd have players doing a signing session and they wouldn't even acknowledge the people. They're one player, and I'll not name them. And the player didn't last long. I got rid of them after a year. And I'm, I talk to everybody. You never know who you're talking to. You no. never know what doors are going to open up. And it, yeah, it's, I believe it's nice to be nice to people. Hmm. Kids pick up on players who don't want to be there. They can pick it straight away. Mm-hmm. And they go back to me and say, oh, I don't like him, because I, I, I can see it. But when they get a nice, we had when Mitch Cooper left the Jets two years ago, he was amazing in the community, and he had such a huge following within the kids because he was nice to them. Yeah. And Andrew Naboo, well, Andrew Naboo was a big player for us, but he was the most amazing person in the community because he got it. Yeah. He 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 got it. He would do anything you asked because he knew how important it was. But it's important for him. Yeah, absolutely. Because then when we were renegotiating his his contract, all of a sudden, he's got the fans on his side as well. that's right. Patrick Swansweight at the Mariners, he was outstanding in the community. He came in, great player, but what a great ambassador as well, because he got it. He got it. It's important. When I went to China to coach, I had John Hutchison, Adam Kosnick, Brendan Santalab, and Johnny Sully, four Aussies. Because the Aussie boys go there and they just mingle, the Chinese are shut off. They They don't do it. So that's why we made such an impact yep. in China because you actually, you're normal and you're not this superstar because they just think you've got this superstar status and you don't need to engage. It's rubbish. You don't, I don't think you're yeah. going in life if you don't engage. <clears throat> I agree. And many things run about being the mayor. Um, I used to say all the time at speeches that it's nice to be nice to people. Yep. I got a buzz out of it when I make somebody put a smile on their face, you know. People ask me how I am in the morning, and I'll go, I'm amazing. How are you? <laughs> Even if I'm feeling shit, yep. I'll still say that because it puts them back on their heels. 
And then you ask them, do you feel better after I said that? I said, I actually Absolutely. do feel better. Because yep. there are too many sour-faced people. Well, how are you this morning? Oh, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm feeling not too good today. <laughs> you want to top yourself after listening to them. Yeah, for sure. So what's next? What's next for Laurie McKenna? Who knows? You know, you, you always have to look ahead. Yep. Um, I'm loving my time here. I love the clubs. We're in a good space. Um, academy's on board. W League's on board. The squad's together. The coaching staff. We've now invested more money and more staff because we couldn't keep doing what we're doing with the resources we had. Um, but who knows? I don't. I think football's. I don't. The, pol the political things there. Mm -hmm. If I fancied it, yep. But I don't really fancy it. Um, I think I've I've done good jo good on the football field with my um, with my results, and then. Um, and I'm just saying, even the results there, our, our youth team now, you know, being involved with that, you know, they're, they've improved. We're getting, with five players against Shanghai Shenhua, as I said, under for the youth team, that's huge, huge for us. Um, so I'm enjoying being back in football. I enjoy the admin side of things, enjoy meeting people, I enjoy making people laugh. If you've ever heard me talking, well, you did hear me talking. I, I don't mind having a bit of fun and taking the piss out of myself <laughs> and my missus. And she loves it as well. She's she's all for it. It's I, I don't know. Like, I think football. I'm 57 now. When I was in China last week, you know, I got tapped up about going back there coaching, and because I was a coach, and then became a mayor, I'm quite unusual over there because you can't be a coach and become a mayor. Yeah. So I'm seen as this kind of hierarchy over yeah, there. Yeah. So I'm quite a I'm quite a celebrity over there, and. Um, so I was tapped up to go in and oversee some football clubs in the football side of things, to, which is nice and flattering, but it's not something we really want to do. You know, I'm, At this point, I'm yeah. settled here. If I can do this for quite a few years and, and keep my thing, is, as I've said to the team now, we're not a small club anymore. We're a mm. big club. We have to think as a big club. Yep. And the thing that came out of our planning day, we want, and I'll show you your values before you go, we want to be seen as the best professional team sporting team in Australia on and off the field and that doesn't mean that we win every week it means we're competitive but on and off that field we're professional and we look after the Newcastle Jets names and I'll show you them as you leave That's we've got them isn't it and we're going to get them put up um the values of the club we changed all the values and what the club means to us and the players um that we are proud to be here and, and we want to see the I want to see the Jets because I'm if I can keep the Jets and I'm not coaching but up the top, if I can make sure everything's running right and the Jets are challenging for the next so many years, I've done my job. Yep. And I've made a lot of people happy up here and proud because the big change for me is people now are proud to say I'm a Jets fan. It's not, oh, I'm a Newcastle Jets fan. I'm, they're actually proud now to, to fly that flag again. And yeah, that's, absolutely. And we're proud to fly the flag for them. Like going to Spain, going to China. Our Newcastle Jets, Newcastle, the Hong Kong Sevens. You know, we went over there with the youth That's team. That's good for our tourism. People see that brand and People want to go, come Newcastle, here. Where's Newcastle? Where's this? Where's that? We're ambassadors for the town now, hmm. and and we're proud of that, and we want to build it. Yep. So we have this thing in the Career Conversations podcast. We have a time machine. So we put you in the time machine, and we rewind the clock back to twenty-year-old Laurie. If you could go back and give him some advice today, what advice would it be? I think I've been really fortunate in my jobs and how it's worked, but you don't get that because you're lucky. You need a bit of luck. I believe you need some luck, especially in football, if you're the right person, look at the right time and you're having a good game and things. I think um, going back, 
backing myself, I, I, I'm not over, I'm confident, but I'm not cocky. Yep. So if I had to go and speak in front of a thousand people or go and sing in front of the Jets crowd with, <laughs> with a song um, what, before one of the games and what about me, um, Shannon Knowles, because I just did it, because I wasn't a script, I just did it. And <laughs> um, I think if I was a bit more confident in myself, yep. I think I maybe, I, I always say in my football career, I achieved more than, I overachieved with the ability I had, but every bit of ability I had, I think I got as high as I could, probably a wee bit higher than, but I had a big heart and I had a, yep. and a, and I had a great work ethic. I couldn't have changed my work ethic because that's been great. But I think maybe in that 20-year-old me in Scottish Premier League, a couple of times there were rumours of me going to other clubs. I think if I'd probably been a, a bit more self-confident, I think that would have helped me. Yeah, excellent. Um, on the field and in the dressing room, because I, I come in as a latecomer. I was 19, married with a kid. Um, it wasn't even your 16, 17-year-old superstar coming through. I was just a grafter who did well with what he had. I think maybe a wee bit of that confidence and belief, maybe self-belief. Good advice. All yeah. right. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Laurie. Pleasure. Appreciate it and good luck for the season. Cheers. Looking forward to it. Cheers. A special thanks to our guest today, Mr. Laurie McKenna, CEO of the Newcastle Jets. Thanks so much for giving up your time. The Newcastle Jets are playing a trial game against his old club, the Central Coast Mariners, in my hometown of Maitland in August. So have a look at the Maitland Council website for ticket details. The regular season for the Jets in the A-League will start soon, so be sure to check out their website and sign up for a membership today, and hopefully they can go one better than last year. If you're keen to hear more of our podcasts, please subscribe at iTunes. You can download via SoundCloud, or simply go to our website, hrgroup.com.au forward slash podcast. I'm Craig McGregor, and thanks for listening.